Good morning. Wow. <laughs> Wasn't sure what you were going to say there. We said, don't, don't start clapping. <laughs> oh, man. Isn't he so awesome? What awesome testimonies, eh? Come on. Wow. <laughs> He's so good. Oh. Jesus. Hmm. Wow. I want to encourage you to, like, if, if you, like Sue said, if you're afraid of going out on the street, there's something that Fatu and Patolo and, and Troy carry that make loving on people so easy. Yeah. Amen? Like, um, you can't help but turn up in the goodness of God when you're ministering with those guys. And it's contagious, so that'll become your normal. <laughs> so I want to encourage you, get involved, you know. You'll start with sausages and you'll end up, you know, raising the dead. So it's quite a... <laughs> Got to start somewhere. Who, who here has already put up their Christmas tree? Ooh. Some of us are thinking that's really sad, but yeah. <laughs> hey, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, can you hold up your hands again? I'm too embarrassed to now. Okay. So, who I really felt. I'm not going to get you to to highlight yourself, but I really felt that that someone who's put up their Christmas tree had a really rough Christmas last year. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, because you're bold enough, we'll get you to stand. <laughs> Let's just put our hands towards these guys. We want to bless them. We want to bless them uh, with rejoice and be glad, that this will be a season of rejoicing and being glad. Father, we bless them with an amazing Christmas. <laughs> we thank you that last year is gone, and we thank you that a new day has dawned, and we bless them with rejoicing and gladness in this season, in Jesus' name. Come on. <laughs> so good. <clears throat> uh, sometimes I get strange things. <laughs> Does um, the word Stockholm mean anything to anyone? Stockholm. Did I pronounce it right? Yep. Put your hand up if that means something to you. Really? Just the word. It could be the place. It just, that means something to you? Oh, that's interesting. Because it is the capital of Sweden, eh? Is that right? I had to look that up. <laughs> cool. Oh, Really? What I felt about Stockholm, the word, is it's the capital of Sweden, and I felt like the emphasis was on capital, that there would be resources coming to capitalize whatever God was leading you into. So we just bless you with um, the release of the resources of heaven into your life in Jesus' name. <laughs> and we thank you, God, for what you're doing. We thank you for the plans that you have for these guys. And Father, just thank you for what you're opening the, the doors for them to walk into or you know you know what I mean yeah (laughs) 
It's funny when you pray and you go in a weird place, but yeah. <laughs> okay, this one, I'm, I'm not expecting anyone to respond to this one, so that's okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm externally, so internally responding maybe. Sweaty feet. <laughs> I really felt there was uh, someone who has an issue with really sweaty feet. And so um, I'm not going to embarrass you, (laughs) but turn to your neighbor and see if they've got a lot of spare socks with them. (laughs) Okay, so we want to bless you with dryness in Jesus' name. (laughs) We bless you that whatever that medical condition is to go right now in Jesus' name. Amen. And if that was you, um, email a testimony to the church. It can be shared anonymously. <laughs> Oil? <laughs> well, I think you should see a doctor then. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, man. So earlier this year, I shared about how we'd, I'd been personally exploring the attributes of the kingdom. And um, I shared about the lordship of Jesus and um, just, you know, that lordship of Jesus is the cornerstone of the kingdom and how um, we get to choose to position ourselves under his rule and reign. Amen. And we've been set free to do that. And it's so much better when we've chosen to do it than rather one day when he turns up and then we're forced to now, you know, to kneel and to confess who he is. And so I've been on that journey of exploring those attributes and, and um I've been thinking about, and it led me to, to thinking about the life that we have in Christ and, and how, how the word says that he's given us life, but even more than that, he says he's given us abundance of life, abundant life. So that's, that's more than just living, that's, that's, that's an abundance of life. Um, and so this morning I want to talk to you about abundance of life we have in Christ um, but I'm not going to talk about the abundance of the life in Christ. I actually want to. I want to come from the perspective of of talking about the atonement, and and how the atonement is the foundation for the abundant life that we have in Christ. the 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 atonement is is where we position ourselves to to live in that resurrected life, that abundance of life. And so I'm gonna. I'm just going to briefly go over it because of time, and. So, if you're like me, you had a really terrible understanding of atonement. And, you know, I probably, you know, it was really limited, it was vague, and probably because I was around people that had no idea either, you know. So, I've been involved in ministry and pastoral care and all that stuff, and I still didn't really know what atonement was. I had, you know, some understanding of it, I had a really messed up understanding of it. And so, it's kind of interesting when you do, like, um, discipleship training and things like that, and... You just skip over those bits. <laughs> and you say, just have an abundant life. <laughs> so atonement means two parties coming back into relationship. It means being, in, being one in harmony. And so for us as believers, what that looks like is what happened at the cross. That's what atonement was. We became one again with God. In harmony again. And so this is a massive subject on its own, and, and there's a whole bunch of different views that have emerged in, in church history. Um, got the clicker thing? I forgot that I went all fancy on you guys today. Look at that. Cool. 
on the right. Yay. I'll catch up to where I was. So, the massive subject. <clears throat> you know, there's been different views on the atonement that have emerged in church history. And, um, for example, Calvinism, you know, has, has really shifted uh, what atonement is. And I'm not hassling John. Um, John Calvin. I'm actually, I'm, 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 a, I'm, I'm challenging the, the mindset that was behind his belief system that came to his conclusions. Amen. Um, it's, it's an issue with the Greek mindset that was behind and influenced a lot of doctrine that had snuck into the church. And so the, I'll give you an example. The Hebraic mindset, which scriptures were written with originally, is really relational and personal. But the, the Greek mindset is abstract and impersonal. So, for example, um, the, you know, uh, to about God healing, the Greek view is God is healer. But the Hebraic mindset is God is healing me. Yeah. You see the difference? Yeah. Both of them testify that God's the healer, but one of them applies a personal application. He is healing me. It's not that he's just a healer. He's healing me. Yeah, and so uh, in the first semester of the Kingdom School next year, I'm going to do a class called Life Redefined where I'm going to unpack more of this. And so, because we've got you know, a lot more time than we have on a Sunday morning. So that's my shameless plug. Come to life, redefine next, next year in the first semester. <laughs> so the atonement view that the early church believed in was called Christus Victor. And the church held this view for like 1,100 years before different doctrines started to come in. And, and if you didn't notice, it's a Latin word that means Christ the Victor. It's quite a hard one to translate that one, but it's Christ the victor. <laughs> so the basis of this view, Christ the vista, uh, vista, victor, is that God gave authority over the earth to Adam and Eve. However, they were tricked by the serpent into handing their authority to him. As a result, the devil had authority over the earth. And then enter King Jesus. And he came and he took the keys back. And the keys represent authority from the devil and he gave them back to humanity. So Jesus came as a human. He was the other Adam who was sinless. He restored authority back to humanity over the earth. And Jesus went through temptations, trials. He was killed, but then he was resurrected. Amen. And when he was resurrected, he brought with him all those that were captive. And he brought the keys back. He reclaimed that authority. And he took everything the enemy had stolen and he restored it back to humanity. It's a good thought, eh? Wow. So good. So that's the condensed version of Christ the Victor Atonement. So you're all semi-scholars now. So there's nothing there that any of us would have a problem with, right? There's no weird peak translation in, in, in that overview. <laughs> this is actually what the early church believed. So the key theme here is that Jesus restored relationship, he restored identity, and he restored authority back to humanity. He restored relationship, he restored identity, he restored authority back to us. So there's a, a couple of other atonement views and, and I'm just giving you guys this as a foundation for what I want to share about. Um, 
A couple of other views that kind of developed later on, there's um, satisfaction theory, which is kind of where things started going wonky. It focused more on God being dishonored by our sin. And so Jesus had to come as a man to live perfectly to honor God again. It's kind of interesting. And then we have uh, penal substitution theory, which Jesus stood in for humanity. He, he deserved to be, uh, we deserve, he didn't deserve to be punished, but we deserve to be punished. But Jesus was punished for our sins so that we could go free. And now this is the big one because most of us would have been influenced heavily by this viewpoint. And I know I was. We either got parts of it uh, as lenses on our eyes or we actually completely sold out to this view. So what we can see from these other views is that the cross, the cross had become about our sin. Uh, more about our sin than the restoration of relationship, the restoration of identity and authority. And so the difference between the various views that have developed over church history hinge on this one thought. Is sin forgiven or is sin punished? The Christus Victor view is that sin was forgiven. And all the other views tend to pull in this sin was punished. You think about that. We have a good father, and he's, he's answer-driven. Amen? He's actually answer-driven, not problem-focused. He's not, he's, not, he's not motivated or compelled by your problem. He's, he's, he's drawn by compassion for the solution for you. So the problem when we get make sin the focus of the cross bear with me, (laughs) when we make sin the focus of the cross is that we develop this filter and filters just adjust the way we see, amen? You know, if you think about uh, different filters you can put on cameras where you can tint the image, you know, different colors and, and, and how they affect light and things like that. It changes what we see. And when we assert Jesus into that equation with filters of punishment for sin, we have a Jesus who's punished on our behalf. Um, for our sin. We, we, we like to think of the cross over there and Jesus is on the cross and the wrath of God's pouring down on him, but I'm standing over here safely away from the lightning bolt. That's kind of sometimes the mindset that we approach the cross with. Because if we have a punishment-focused cross, that's what happens. We distance ourselves from what really took place on the cross. We miss we missed the covenant made between a father and a son. And you know that covenant is anchored in forgiveness and restoration. It's anchored in forgiveness and restoration. Restoration of relationship, identity, and authority. I'm going to drum those three into you today. (laughs) So we need to see a father and son enacting a covenant that contains forgiveness, not punishment. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, and this is the key part, 
that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. So God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, you know, not counting trespasses against them. The Father and the Son were together on the cross. And we don't see an angry God punishing Jesus. So don't get me wrong, or quote me wrong, or email Trent that I've got this wrong, but sin is an issue. But sin was dealt with in that the new covenant allowed for forgiveness. It was forgiven, not punished. So the main purpose was the restoration, you probably know it now, relationship, identity, authority. That was the purpose. So the view of the, the this is the view the original uh, the original view the early church had of what took place at the cross. This was atonement. It was completely relational, restorative, and empowering. So a lot of us have been um, oh it does work. What a lot of us have done or been taught is that we insert punishment into that cross, and because we created a courtroom event around the cross. Think about that. Once you do that, you've created a courtroom setting around the cross. The cross was not a time of judgment. It was a time of forgiveness. It was the, this was the most significant relational moment in creation. This was the most significant relational moment in creation because a covenant was being established that would last forever that would unite us all together as one, in the one, glorifying the one. And so we need to restore the relational filter of atonement. And we need to take that, that legal filter and throw it away. It's no good. Actually bust it, bash it up. We need to restore that relational filter on how we see the atonement and what took place at the cross. And, you know, as I said, it wasn't, I, I believed this. I believed, it wasn't long ago, it was probably earlier last year, I was actually preaching that, <laughs> so it wasn't long ago, uh, angry God syndrome. And so, you know, that, that here um, Jesus became my sin on the cross and the Father's pouring his wrath onto Jesus on my behalf, you know, and, and that, you know, Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He, you know, the Father had to turn his back because um, he, Jesus looked too much like me and he couldn't bear looking at him. And, you know, and here I am off on the distance and I'm fine. I don't have to, because Jesus is my substitute. He's the one suffering on my behalf. He's the one being punished for me. And then this whole thing of seeing an angry God pouring his wrath on Jesus for my mess. But that's not true. There's nowhere in scripture that you will see the wrath of God being poured out on the cross. And when you see Jesus crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What I discovered was a completely different perspective on that verse. Was that Jesus wasn't saying, oh no, the Father has, has, has turned his back on me. He was actually referencing Psalm 22. Because who knows that they didn't have chapters and verses. 
And so he was crying out. You've got to look up Psalm 22. He's actually he's speaking the very first verse of Psalm 22. He's actually telling them, hey, guys, you know what's happening right now? Psalm 22, go look it up. This is what's taking place right now. And if you look at Psalm 22, it's all about the victory of the cross. Isn't that good news? So this is the cool stuff that you'll hear at the Kingdom School of Transformation. <laughs> Come to the class. So just a, tra- a tasty treat on that one. You know, I'm just, this is, I'm not trying to make this an infomercial, but, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we don't give you a set of like free steak knives when you come into the school or anything. So just a bit of a treat of, uh, to get you thinking about this stuff. The Old Testament is, um, contains lots of types and shadows, right, of the atonement. We all know that. What was in the Messianic law was all types and shadows of what was going to take place. And not once do you see them taking the lamb, atonement lamb, and beating it to, you know, beating it and pulling on it and kicking it and, and, and torturing it before they slay it. <laughs> you don't see that anywhere in Scripture. The atonement lamb wasn't tortured for the, the forgiveness of sin. Its blood was shed for the forgiveness of sin. So why do we apply that to the atonement at the cross? I should mention here that Sue's doing a really good series next year on the Kingdom School of Transformation. <laughs> she has to do it now. It's on, it's on, it's on covenants. So to, to understand more of this and how it all connects together, Sue's going to unpack some amazing revelation on this. So, um, <laughs> so yep. That could be my last plug. <laughs> I, could be. See what happens. <laughs> yeah. So if you look at... Keep forgetting about that. So if you look at the other covenants in Scripture, it always contains God on one end and a human on the other end. It's always this, this God, oh God, creating covenants with humanity. And, um, but at the cross, we see a new covenant being established that's not like all the other ones. What we see is a father and the son uh, creating a covenant. We see God, the father, on one side of the covenant. And we see Jesus, who came as a man, representing humanity on the other side. So he comes as God, Jesus, God the Son, but also he comes as the Son of Man. And you have God on the other side, and they enact a covenant. And who knows, because they're perfect, they're not going to break that covenant. And so now, uh, new covenants were um, now covenants were established in blood. So we have a father and a son making a covenant, and we have a sacrificial lamb in the middle who is also Jesus. He represents that as well. So this, I mean, this can't fail at all, eh? You know, th- this cannot be messed up. This this cannot be screwed up at all. Isn't that good news? Yeah. This is the best covenant. Hebrews called it the calls it the better covenant because. This is eternal. This one cannot be broken. Both parties in the covenant are perfect. And so it can't be broken. It can never fail. And the great thing is, is you're right in the middle of it. 
Come on. 1 John 2, 2 says, He himself is the for our sins, and not only ours only, but also those of the whole world. That's the word. I'm not going to repeat it. (laughs) I was trying to last night. It wasn't working. So just a note on that word that begins with P. Yeah. Yep, that one. Say it louder. Everyone can hear. In Greek is actually hilamos. And um, what's really interesting is when they translated the, um, the Hebrew scriptures to Greek with the Septuagint, I got that word right, I think. And what happened is they didn't have, they didn't have a Greek word for atonement. Well, they did, and, but this was, hilamos was the best word that they had. The problem was that word was related to Greek culture and Greek mythology and, and to do with the way that the Greeks interacted with their many gods. So it was actually about that word by definition means appeasing an angry God. You know, you think about some of the horrific things that took place to appease a, an angry God. There were heaps of types of sacrifices, including children, you know, sacrificing children. So this is what that word means, but it's not found in the original Hebrew text. And so this is where our translations that we have now are a translation of the Greek text, and we get these words that present an angry God that is not in the original Hebraic text. Interesting, eh? And so what we need to do when we're reading Scripture is anything that contradicts a good father, we've got to challenge and dig deep and see what's actually wrong with this text. What does it really mean? Go back to the original. In fact, that same word is used in Romans 3.25 as well. So Jesus stood in the place of humanity and he's now forgiven all humanity, past, present, and future. The whole world has been forgiven. But this is not unitarianism, universalism. What is it? Universalism, yeah. I don't know what the other one is. But um, that's probably bad. So th- there's a difference between being forgiven and being reconciled. Who knows that? Yeah. So the whole world has been forgiven, but not everyone has been reconciled. Yeah. Ever wonder why you have the ministry of reconciliation? <laughs> Ever wonder why you're not there to judge people, but to reconcile people? Yeah, come on, because the world's already been forgiven and they just need to know it. That's your job. Starts with a sausage. <laughs> yeah. So that's something we all personally have to choose, amen? To be reconciled to God. We've all been forgiven, but we have to actively choose to be reconciled. And that's because God is relational, hey? He's so relational. It's all about a relationship with Him. And He couldn't have made it any easier, hey? I think we've made this hard. I think we've created loops and and hurdles for people to jump over to be reconciled to a good father. And I think it's also because we don't understand atonement. So I've spoken a lot about forgiveness and that Jesus was not punished for our sin, but I'm not saying Jesus did not suffer. So... um, He wasn't punished for our sin, but he did suffer. Who knows that was horrific what he went through. It says that he was brutalized. 
you know, right up to that moment of the cross. It was pretty awful. And Isaiah 53 is a well-known part of Scripture that, that prophesies what was going to take place at the cross. We all know probably Isaiah 53. It's, you know, by his stripes we're healed and all that sort of stuff taking place. So I'm going to give you a quick comparison. Um, if we read Isaiah 53 with an older translation, it really helps us understand a different view of what took place at the cross. Um, modern atonement views filter a lot of our transla- translations um, with, with new views of the atonement that the early church never believed in, just like how I referred to the Greek text, you know, mistranslating the original Hebrew. And so here's a quick uh, comparison for what we often read in Isaiah 53. So I'm not going to go through the whole, whole chapter, but um, Isaiah 53, 8 says, For the transgressions of my people he was punished. But if you look at the Young's uh, literal translation, it says, by the transgressions of my people, he is plagued. Totally different outcome. Totally different thing going on. So just to summarize Isaiah 53, you can go study it for yourself. It tells us that sin was a plague, which was put upon Jesus, the sacrificial lamb. And he carried all our sin burden, our sorrow, and he took it to the grave where he left it. And it was forgiven. He left it in the grave. That's good news. He didn't stay there, but all the other stuff did. You guys aren't, some of you don't seem too sure. (laughs) Okay, so where do we fit in all of this? Is this making sense? It's probably a little bit different to what I normally share on, but yeah. Um. Where do we fit in all this? We've been invited to identify with Christ. Um, This looks like that phrase, in Christ. You know, who's heard of you're in Christ? What that means is you're identified with Christ. And we like to be in Christ on the resurrected side of the cross, where all the fun stuff is, but we actually have have to identify ourselves with Christ on the cross also. You know, um... The, the, like I've shared, you know, the issue with the more modern atonement views is that we distance ourselves from the cross and we say, Jesus is over there getting punished and I'm over here safe and sound and then I'm going to jump into him on the other side because it's much nicer. But to the degree we identify our, with ourselves with Christ on the cross is equal to how much we identify ourselves in the resurrected life. Think about that. To the degree that you identify yourself with Christ on the cross is equal to how you identify yourself with him in the resurrection. We should pray for that clock to slow down. (laughs) Hmm. When we identify ourselves with Christ on the cross, we find ourselves in him at the cross in sin, but not about to receive the wrath of an angry God. We receive a decree of forgiveness. When you identify with being on that cross, the Father decrees over you forgiven.
and then we die. (laughs) But the good news is that death could not hold him. (laughs) And we resurrect in Christ. Amen? So, life on the other side. He's given us an abundance of life. John 10.10, the thief comes to steal and to destroy, and I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Come on. I'll skip through these, eh? Romans 5.10, for if while we're enemies, we are reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Come on. I love this one. This just, if you take this whole thing of atonement and then you look at Romans 6 on baptism, you have a new perspective on it. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? I didn't put the whole lot on. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we, were, if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, if we become united with him in his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is free from sin. Come on. <laughs> Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Yeah. 2 Timothy 2.11, for if we died with him, we shall also live with him. This is all the way through the Bible. How do we miss this stuff? Colossians 3.3, 3, for you have died and your life is hidden in Christ with God. Galatians 3.26, for you are sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. There's good news right there. Yeah. What did he restore? Relationship, identity, and authority. Second Peter one four. He has granted. I love this verse. He has granted us to his, to to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Come on, you actually have his nature now in the resurrected life. It's good news for some of you. I'm all right. <laughs> Matthew eighteen eighteen. Truly I say to you, read this in the Amplified, it's pretty good. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. He restored to us the keys of authority on earth. Yeah. Come on. So the abundant life looks like relationship. Amen. That we have been made at peace with the Father. How awesome is that? You know, identity. We have been made partakers of his divine nature. Yeah. Wow. So the attributes of God are your default. We actually have to work hard to be sinners. You actually have to have an out-of-self moment <laughs> to be a bad guy. <laughs> That's a much better thought than trying to struggle to be a good guy, eh? Yeah. So... Authority, all authority on earth was given to Jesus and he has delegated it to us. He has restored the keys back to us. And so these three things are the foundation from which we build and experience the abundant life. How cool is that? 
We must identify ourselves with the Christ on the cross to fully embrace a life in the victorious Christ. To the degree that we identify with him on the cross is the degree that we walk and abide in him in the resurrected, abundant life. Wow. So good. It's good I skipped through that quick. Man. Jesus. Is it making sense? You're in Christ. Not just in the resurrection, but you are in him on the cross. And the Father decreed over you, forgiven. (laughs) Ha ha. That's a much better deal, eh? So, actually, if the prayer servants could come, we're going to do something. If the prayer servants could come and take, assume their position. <laughs> Let's give these guys a hand, eh? Because they serve every week. We just want to bless them. Thank you, guys. Mm. We're blessed with so many awesome volunteers in this church, eh? If you listen to Fiona earlier, you realize you're actually allowed to make each one of these guys a Christmas cake. (laughs) You can make me one too, if you like. (laughs) I like icing and, um, yeah. (laughs) Okay. You know, maybe you hear me today talk about you know, what I've shared about, and you've struggled with knowing that you've been forgiven. The Muso guys, where are they? That was flipping awesome, eh? So good. Yeah, come up, yeah. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. Get off Facebook. So maybe you hear me sharing today and you're really struggling with the idea of being forgiven. Today's the day that you know you're going to find out and you're going to know that you're forgiven. You know, um, maybe you struggled with the idea of being reconciled to a good father. Today's the day that you're going to have a revelation of being reconciled to a good father. Why don't we all stand, eh? Jesus. Just shut your eyes. And just imagine yourself on the cross with Christ. He identified himself with you. And you're identifying yourself with him. And as you're on the cross there in Christ, in your mess and in your sin and in your struggles in your sickness, in infirmity, in failure, there's a decree from heaven. There's a decree from the Father that says, you are forgiven. You have been forgiven. Just receive that word, that you have been forgiven. And imagine now that you die on the cross with Jesus. 
but death no longer has power. <laughs> and you arise in resurrection. You arise in the resurrected Jesus, a new creation that has never been before. Wow. I just want to encourage you to take hold of everything that he's claimed for you in the new covenant. Restoration of relationship, identity, and authority. You are forgiven. You died, and you have resurrected into new life. How good is that? You are no longer a victim of the world or a mastered by it. You are free, you're empowered, and you have his nature. I'm just going to get the ministry team to extend their hands towards you guys, and we're going to bless you. And you know what this blessing is? Our, the blessing isn't making it happen. The blessing is our agreement on earth with what's already been established in heaven. So we are blessing you now with that, that exchange that took place where that decree of forgiveness has been spoken over you and that you died with Christ and that you have resurrected in him as a new being with a new identity and a new relationship with the Father and have been empowered and given authority to bring his kingdom onto the earth and make the Father's heart be known to those that are lost. So we bless you right now with that decree. We bless you that you are a new creation, that you are forgiven that you are whole and complete, that every sickness and infirmity must go in the name of Jesus. You have been empowered. You're no longer a victim of this world. You are a king and you reign with an authority underneath the lordship of Jesus. And we bless you with an abundance of life. We bless you with an abundance of life this morning. We bless you with relationship, with identity, with authority, with restoration of your spirit, your soul, and your body in the name of Jesus. Jesus. Let's just worship Him.